Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Hello everyone, my name is Bobby Leehu and I'm the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew. On today's episode, Mark Graham and I discuss the power of tiny sales tasks for ginormous sales gain. Now between the two of us, we have about 40 years experience wrestling with this topic of proactive selling. Today we're going to talk about why it's so difficult in this business to do proactive selling like prospecting, where to find more margin in your week, how to inject tiny sales tasks into your busy day to enable you to do proactive sales work, how binge proactive selling is a little bit like yo-yo dieting, and how proactive selling actually emboldens and inspires salespeople and much more. I begin the discussion by asking Mark, how hard is it to do proactive sales work in this industry? I think it's really hard. I think that I think that people want to believe it's easy. I think that there's a lot that you can can do in theory to be proactive and to divide out your day. But I think that the biggest challenge that people in the promotional products space have, uh, whether they're salespeople or operations people or marketing people, whatever the case may be, is uh, finding that time to be proactive, carving out that time to be proactive and recognizing that that is not as exciting as finding yourself in the thrill of the chase. And I think the thrill of the chase could be when the client decides they want to go ahead with an order. It could be when you're juggling a bunch of presentations you have to get out. It just, it's, it's all those times when you're busy and when you equate busy with being valued and being productive. But it's all the other stuff that is probably way more important to building a long-term successful sales portfolio or a business portfolio that a lot of people just either shy away from or they just don't know how to do that work. Why, why is it unique to uh, our business or do you think do you think this is normal? I mean, it's got to be normal to some degree in other professions, but it almost feels a little more acute with what we do. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that it's unique to the promotional products industry, but since that's an industry we both know really well, I can certainly comment on that with a lot more authority. I, I think as a distributor, you are always managing uh, inbound requests. And if you're a successful distributor, yeah. you're, you're, you're juggling all sorts of client opportunities, client fires, vendor opportunities, vendor fires, um, p- potential challenges within your office. And so it's, it's a very, um, it, it can be very high stress, high transaction, mm-hmm. high order, high task kind of environment. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I used to compare when I was a lot more involved in right sleeve on the distributor side that it was akin to like a trading floor (laughs) where you'd have like uh, buyers that would be coming in on one phone. You'd have sellers on the other phone. You'd be looking for like a low price on a t-shirt print or a t-shirt price or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's a thrilling environment to be in, particularly if your distributorship is, um, is, 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 is doing well. Yeah. 
Um, and, but I think to then switch tasks and be more methodical, a little bit slower, more strategic, more proactive with your reach outs, um, it almost requires two different skill sets. And I think that's why a lot of people struggle in this business. The reward is immediate when you're handling those projects for clients. Um, the reward yep. of, of landing the order, of handling difficult problem, of, of getting the end around around a project that is misshipped or whatever it might be. There's an immediate reward with that type of work. And it's short term uh, and it's fast transactions. And then the prospecting is a completely different mind shift, like you just said. And, and one of the challenges, I think, is that it takes us a while to get up to that kind of work. Yeah, um, the fact that it's a long-term reward actually just makes it harder work to do. Any any yeah. proactive, whether you're a creative, whether you do design work, whether you do writing, whether you do whatever it is, creative, proactive, creative work is some of the hardest work to do if you don't have impending deadlines. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I I think that this is why you see in uh, some distributorships, particularly ones that are a little bit larger, is where they actually divide the role between. Uh, a sales coordinator uh, and someone and, and a salesperson. So that salesperson, in theory, all they're doing is thinking proactively. They're thinking strategically. They're building those relationships. They're out there hunting and and playing the long game. At least that's how it should be working in theory. Whereas that sales coordinator doesn't have to worry about being proactive in the same way that that person is managing the, the flow of information, the problems, the opportunities uh, that come in to um, um, across their desk. And, and I think that that can be a really successful model. But of course, if you're a one person operation or a two person operation, that can be challenging given that you, you don't have those additional resources. Yeah. You know, you know what I've seen time and time again. So the, the question then really becomes, how do I build into my workday and my life and my week, my week to week routine, proactive selling tasks that are going to, that are gain me in the future because you, because of the cyclical nature of the business. And no matter who you are, if you look back at your past 12 months experience and your past 12 months sales, you'll see these dips and valleys. You'll see bigger months. You know, maybe it was your first quarter was big. Your second quarter was slower. Your third quarter was big. Your fourth quarter was slower. But you'll see these definite valleys. And often what happens in the emotional landscape of those valleys is that when you peak, you know you don't have time for anything else but that. And it's exhilarating and thrilling and it's tiring and exhausting and stressful. But ultimately, it's rewarding. Then you get down into that down curve. And what happens? You start thinking, okay, my business is slowing down. Now I need to focus on those proactive selling activities like trying to develop new product for clients or trying to do prospecting. And then what happens is the energy that's required to actually have that momentum to get that started is the same energy that was required when you're at the high level of all those transactions and busyness, but you're either depleted or you just simply uh, now are starting. So you, you're, you're sort of left floundering. You're like, okay, where do I, begin? Right. what do I, and I've seen this cycle happen again, again, and again, where you'll right. have someone hit that Valley and they're like, okay, now I need to start focusing on business. Cause I obviously need more business. They start, they just get started and then they'll have clients come back and then they'll yep. get their ambition will get swallowed by the deadline monster. Yep. Yep. And it yeah. zooms them. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think there's people listening to this are probably a lot of heads that are nodding and people feel that, uh, that, that explains their situation. So, I mean, Bobby, you for 25 years were on the distributor side and, 
had uh, been in a variety of roles, and certainly one of those roles was managing the sales force at, at the distributorship. Mm-hmm. Um, what were, I mean, we know all the things that were the, the common pitfalls. We've just been talking about them, but mm-hmm. were there things in your experience with your team or either yourself that um, allowed you to break from that, that routine where you get stuck in the transaction um, and where you can move into thinking more proactively and more strategically about your accounts? Like what worked for you? Yeah, absolutely. I, a couple of things um, in terms of let's, let's just segment this in terms of um, prospecting for new business. Um, what you really have to do and what I've seen s- successful people do is they break down their, we, they break down this prospecting goal down into very bi- tiny bite-sized pieces. It's a very big gargantuous task. And so they have to break it down into pieces that they can actually consume on a, on a weekly or a daily level, whether that is getting inside LinkedIn to do some prospecting, whether that's sending handwritten notes, but they're, they're basically not waiting until the day where they have more free time. What they're doing is they're trying to build these little tiny practices into their day or into their week. So what would you, you would have these seasons where, whether it was, uh, take, take campaigns, for example, um, right sleeve is probably this way. Robin is certainly this way, even though you have seasons where you have these creative materials basically at the ready. And the more proactive you can be with creating some various campaigns and materials, whether that's holiday campaigns, whether that's your own self-promotion campaigns, the more things you can have at the ready, the less excuses you're going to have when it, come, when it comes time where you, where you can launch something like that. What I really encourage folks, though, to do is to take this whole business prospecting and break it down into something you can do daily or weekly. So let's say, for example, Mark, you're at a half million dollar book of business and you want to get to a million. Yeah. And you start backing in the numbers about what it's going to take to get to that. Often, I think what happens is we get lost in the mart, you know, in the growth percentages of what we want to go. And we don't get into the real activity that's going to require to get there. And so we have to ask back into ourselves, say, what's what's the activity that's actually going to help me get there? And knowing that I have, let's say you're half million to a million, knowing that you have a book of business that can completely swallow your day or your week. You're going to have to take those goals and break them down to something you can do on Monday and something you can do on Tuesday. And what I mean by break it down, I don't mean like now I get to spend half a day. I mean, now I only have 15 minutes this morning and I'm going to spend it doing what? And that what might be mailing that campaign, following up with that prospect with a handwritten note, that what may be a phone call, but then tracking all of these things and some easy to track methodology that allows you to just to, to, to nip away at little at a time, yeah. little at a time. Cause there's one thing that we, uh, that we don't talk about enough in this business. We talk about gross sales and our overall book of business, but we don't talk about things like a client count. We have a client that had a client that, uh, use that as a metric. Well, I always thought it was a fascinating metric for our business because, you know, we're consumed by the 80, 20 rule in this business. Typically most of us are working yep. on clients or with clients that are basically the majority of our business. And yet one of the most healthy metrics we can employ in our lives is really how many clients are we working on? How many more clients can we land? Yep. So I'm saying multiple things at once, but really the biggest thing I'm trying to say is take this and break it down into small, tiny bite-sized pieces that you can do daily. Don't put it off and wait until second quarter where you're going to have more time to do it. Right. Uh, well, and, and you had written a post on the common skew blog. I mean, this is of course part of this three part series uh, that we're talking about right now. And, and I might be butchering it, but the uh, remind me what the quote was it was basically like the path to success is paved not with giant steps but with tiny mundane unremarkable tasks like something like that yeah 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 
Uh, well, and there's a, yeah, there's a, maybe, maybe that's actually better than what your quote was. <laughs> that was pretty good. I think it is actually, yeah. but yeah. So there was this, there was this quote, uh, that was a little stretch to put, to put it in a blog post. Cause I'm like, man, I hope somebody reads this, but it really is the secret. So the secret, the, pros I, know, I mean, I read it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Thanks. I got one reader. So the, the secret, the pros know when an archer, this is from, I won't even tell you where this is from. It's a little embarrassing. When an archer is shooting for nothing, he has all his skill. Right. If he shoots for a brass buckle, he's already nervous. So in sales, we think of, I've got to get to a million in sales. Um, and when we start thinking of that goal, we get nervous. We, we sort of either over, uh, emphasize the goal and undervalue our activities and tasks. But to go on. So if he shoots for the brass buckle, he's already nervous. His skill has not changed, but the prize itself divides him. Right. He thinks right. more of winning than of shooting. He thinks more of winning than of shooting. And the need right. to win drains him of his power. So right. the, the, the aspect of that quote is, in sales, you should be thinking more of shooting. So not so much the, I'm going to grow by 30%. I'm gonna, you should be thinking of those things. That's planning that you should do for your portfolio. Right. But really what you should be spending the lion's share of your time on is the shooting. What are the actual tasks and activities that you're going to do on Monday, on the first week of the year, on the second week of the year, the third week of the right. year? Is, is, isn't, and you know, I, not, not to get like super meta here, but could you also say that that has a lot in common with people who say that it's not about the destination, it's about the journey? Certainly. And, and that's interesting. I, I know that I am, um, guilty of this, that in whatever it is that I'm doing, particularly in business, I get very focused on the, the goal that I'm looking to achieve and sometimes forgetting that the path to that, to that goal is equally fun, if not more fun than the actual goal. And I find myself like, Hey, if it's a sales goal that I, uh, that I hit or if it's a particular customer I was looking to engage with or a particular event that I was looking to put on, um, I'll, I'll often get there. And uh, while I might be really satisfied that I reached the goal, there's almost like that sense of like, Oh, you know, this, the, <laughs> maybe yeah. this is, wasn't as great or and now I kind of missed the fact that I, I'm not on that journey anymore. Yeah. And um, is this goal as much as it was cracked out to be? So I, that, that may be related to what you're talking about. And to add to that, Mark, I, I, I can recall now hearing this from sales reps through the years when they would, this is, the, this is the fascinating part about it. It's very difficult to get to that work. If you try to take it in big segments, like I'm going to focus on this and next month want to have more time. Those are the kinds right. of lies that we tell ourselves. What I did find is that um, when salespeople in particular get out from under those daily tasks that are just responding to fires and they're doing more of the proactive sales work, they actually feel more alive. And yeah. I can remember the comments of people saying, man, I just missed doing that. That was so much fun. I loved getting out there. I loved talking to customers. I love, and Danny Rosen's really big on this, you know, about getting out from behind your desk and getting out and being with customers. But when salespeople, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a release. It's kind of the reward. And I'm saying basically what you just said was uh, part of the reward is actually getting out there and doing this kind of work or focusing on your book of business. There's nothing that makes you feel better psychologically, for one thing, knowing yeah. that you're sitting on a book of business that's a half a million or 750,000, you want to get to 1.5 million. And suddenly you start building in weekly proactive tasks that are going to help you present new categories to your customer. And this psychological value actually just like fuel that adds yeah. more and, and just exponentially grows your book of business without even realizing it because it's emotionally lifting you now, I think. 
Right. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's like a lot of things, right? If you're, if you're trying to get, uh, if you're trying to lose weight or if yeah. you're trying to train for a big race, um, right. that it, it's never like you, you, you don't, you don't win the marathon by going from zero to marathon in your first week. Right. Um, you'll inevitably hurt yourself <laughs> and you'll probably just psych yourself out or it'll be so painful that you just won't want to continue. Um, same thing. If you're trying to lose weight that the, the, the first couple of days, if you are going, uh, eating nothing but vegetables and you're changing your diet, then you're going to crash and it's going to be really challenging or same thing. If you're trying to quit, something. So yeah, I think that it really comes down to those tiny, almost insignificant, unremarkable daily activities that seem like on their own to be nothing, Yeah, but they're, they, they mean so much in aggregate. And I think that, I mean, was it, 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 there's a famous Steve jobs quote out there that over or like Apple's overnight success took 20 years yeah. and, yeah. and, and, you know, it's, it's funny, like when we're certainly not Apple by any stretch, but I know that there've been people who come up to me at, at trade shows and say, Oh, right sleeve seems like such a great company or a common skew seems like such a great company. Um, like it must've been so easy for you. And, and I think to myself, well, you, you know, we still have our challenges. First of all, <laughs> second of all, um, like I've been doing this for 20 years and, um, it's been a huge slog for a lot of those 20 years. Right. And while we're certainly feel very fortunate to have had any degree of success, um, it, it all comes down to these small little unremarkable yeah. things that, you know, we've done or doing things that don't scale is something that I've, um, heard as well, particularly in the technology industry, like mm -hmm. do those things and you'll figure out what makes your business tick. Um, so same thing can apply in sales. Like if you're trying to grow your sales and you may say, well, it's, it's quicker for me to go and generate more sales by sending out this impersonal email blast to 500 customers and hoping that maybe one of them replies and says, can I have a quote on that? You may say, well, that's a great thing because I, I, I can scale that activity. Yeah. Whereas if you're to stop and write that handwritten note, not to 500 customers, but let's say one a day, or you go to your customer and surprise and delight them by dropping off um, something unexpected, uh, could be a, some cupcakes or it could be a new piece of self promo that you have or something that is not even directly sales oriented. Mm -hmm. Again, that's something that doesn't really scale because you had to drive down there and it took all morning to go yeah. and drop that off of the customers. That yeah. in and of itself is not particularly remarkable, but yeah. when you then tie that to that particular customer's loyalty over the next two years, you can't beat that ROI. So I, I think that's it's it's a hard thing to condition yourself out of as a salesperson. Yeah. And it, that quote, one of the quotes you were referring to, I think earlier too, was victory is one, not in miles, but in inches, win a little now, hold your ground, hold your ground and yeah, later win a little more it to tie back to your comment about the, the, you know, like dieting and things like that. We know that the biggest success comes from these tiny tasks. So why do we have such a hard time in this business? I think, you know, part of it is we do binge prospecting. We only do binge. We only do binge proactive selling. Uh, and we know that's just like yo-yo dieting. You know, it's going to, yep. it could work for a little bit, but it's not going to work, yeah. you know, for the long run. And I actually think, Mark, this is the other reason is so subtle. 
and it's kind of more insidious. And the insidiousness is that if you, if you're in this business for a while, you actually get reprogrammed in your mind to not know how to work unless you have an impending deadline. Mm. Yep. And yep. therefore you don't have anything requiring you to go out and do this other than your own initiative. And it's not that people don't work hard and they don't have their own initiative. It's just that you actually don't know how to respond to things unless there's something on fire. And I think that's because that's all we do all day long is work under, under deadlines, hot deadlines, right. deadlines. So I would encourage folks for a proactive, for, for a helpful task then is to, if you don't have that type of accountability built into your own, your organization or your leadership, get with other folks that are like-minded and come up with a little support crew, you know, that's going to help each other stick with those proactive tasks. Right. And that may be a way to sort of lift yourself out of and make sure you're not trying to do that solo. One thing that has worked well for us is first of all, accepting the fact that, your day is made up of a ton of interruptions from vendors, from customers, from colleagues, from fires, just annoying things that get in your way. Yeah. And and I, I think it's important to honor that because that's reality, right? Um, and w- once you've recognized that, um, you can set aside a small amount of time. In your day, it may be 45 minutes, it could be 30 minutes, maybe you just start with 20 minutes and something that's really, really small where everything is turned off and you've got the ability to do one or two things that day that is completely proactive, completely strategic. So it could be writing that handwritten note. It mm-hmm. could be making that phone call that you've been avoiding and and recognizing that you'll still get to all the fires. You you can hear the fires. You can see the fires burning around you, but knowing that you'll get to them in 20 minutes. So you can do this one or two things that day. Then for most of us, we love to check things off our to-do list. In many cases, those are the fires that you're having to deal with. And if those strategic proactive things can be um, seen as, something you can check off your list, then that, that, that actually gives you that sense of satisfaction. So I think that, and, and that 20 minutes can then be 25 minutes the following week. It can yeah. then move to 30. And then before you know it, you've now built in that habit. And that's really what this is about. It's, it's, it's not about you being too busy. It's about you not having that particular habit that that muscle has not yes, yeah. necessarily been Good flexed point. or built. Right. And so just like the person running the marathon, if I look at the guy or woman who won their respective races at the New York City Marathon, and I'm thinking to myself, why can't I run the marathon in that speed? Well, it's because I <laughs> I don't have that habit. My muscles aren't built that way yeah. because I haven't trained myself to do so. And and no one's going to be surprised that you can't run a marathon in as quick a time as them if you haven't trained. So why wouldn't you think you could do that on the sales side in terms of being proactive? Right. Yeah, great point. You know, uh, in another, so we were at, so when we we're at SKUCon, we're at dinner and I'm talking with a distributor who's going to have to remain nameless because I asked if I could share his name in this story. And he said, you just can't yet because the, the project's still pretty hot. But um, I said, you know, we're working on this sales series and I really want to help provide tips. What have you seen that has worked that's been very successful in your distributorship? And he said, we started doing this drip marketing campaign. You know, and 
obviously everybody gets strip marketing. That's where you just one week you might deliver a, a campaign, the next week you might mail a campaign, the next week you might do something different. And in this case, they had a very specific set of follow-up routines. They had ship this campaign in two days, follow up with an email and in five days, follow up with another email and seven days, follow up with another campaign. It was literally that close and it was that connected. And by the way, that many folks say that the magic number is seven. If you're sh- shooting for a magic number, magic number is seven in terms of the number of, of drop-offs or, or follow-ups yep. that you should do. Yeah. Um, and, and what, by the way, as, as an aside, as somebody who also buys services, You'll find out that the number one mistake that most salespeople make up make is that they give up too early in the process. Yep. And they 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 think uh, not right now means no, or they interpret no as a no, and no is almost never a no. But back to the story. So the distributor tells me what's what they're doing with this, and, and so far, what in my mind, you know, what I'm thinking, Mark, I'm thinking there's nothing remarkable about this story right now. You know, he's basically saying what. People in this industry who are successful in sales do do all the time. And then he tells me that they land a $96,000 first-time order from a customer using this process. And yeah. by the way, they, they not that this is a pitch for, for, for Wishpond and, and, and CommonSQ, but they basically uh, started then putting that data into Wishpond as, as right, well. Right, right, right. But, but my, my, what's interesting with me is that I, I'm thinking in my mind that, you know, I, I fall, fell into the same trap that everyone else does. There's got to be some other answer. By the way, that client is now, um, I think they're easily eclipsing 250000 and that's barely a year-old relationship. So they actually, wow. their second order was even bigger than the first one. And this all came from what I would think that I would call, and they may not call this because maybe their campaign was incredibly clever, but I think it was a fairly unremarkable drip marketing campaign. And I think that's part of the key. I mean, we used to get one of our, one of the things that we would get tripped up in is the creative. So we definitely need to be creative. Mark, you're a very creative brand. You've done some amazing creative things. And this industry gives us an incredible, uh, I mean, we, we have incredible resources at our fingertips. And when I say get tripped up in the creative, we can actually get consumed in the creative when we actually need yeah. to start executing. And so, um, yeah, his story, unremarkable. The, the most remarkable part about it is that they stuck with it and they start, they kept doing it little by little. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at, at the end of the day, like they say, just, 90% of success is just showing up. I, I might get that. I might be getting that quote wrong, but I, I think that um, it, it's, it's that strong, solid foundation and whether it's strong, solid foundation from good habits um, um, or if it's a strong, solid foundation of great clients that are, uh, that give you good margin business that uh, consistently show up with good opportunities and challenge you creatively and are good for the business. Um, I, I certainly know several years ago, um, when I think about where we were with right sleeve, you know, this might've been 10 years ago or so you're we looking at the business. We had way too many customers. And when I, people say, well, hang on way too many customers. What are you talking about? <laughs> But, but the reality was we had way too many customers yeah. that were doing hardly any business that didn't have any potential to go anywhere. And right. when we looked at the business, it was low margin. Uh, there might have been one order every two years. And we looked at the company and then said, okay, does this particular company fit our ideal customer? Um, is Are there relationships at the senior level? Um, is this a healthy account? And the answer to a lot of those questions was no. So- 
we, we then paired back that list dramatically so we could focus on a set of accounts that fit our values that were a delight to work with that met our margin requirements. And, and while that might've been a really tough sell to some of the salespeople that were like, well, hang on a second, I'm going from 450 accounts down to 98. You crazy. We were able to demonstrate that by reducing the accounts, that was the only way that we were going to grow their portfolios and we were going to grow margins and we were going to build a business that every year could continue to grow reliably. Yeah. And, um, that, that was extremely, extremely hard. I would liken that to the time when someone said to us, Hey, you've never, I know I'm using marathon examples here a lot. I don't know why I'm going back to them, but just maybe it fits. Um, that would have been, like someone saying to, to, to you, Hey, you've never run anything longer than a 2K family run race. Right. And now we're expecting you to run a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> and just think about all the habits and everything that needed to change in order to adjust from the, the family 2K fundraise mentality to that of something that was much longer term and much more challenging. Yeah. Well, you're, you're actually, I think this is one of the secrets. So what we've, we slipped into a conversation here about how to find more margin in your life so that you can actually build more profitable clientele into your, your portfolio. Right. And Mark, you remember, I told you about the distributor I was talking to at a breakfast, uh, this, this at expo who yep. said they fired 400 clients. And let me interject with a thought in case you're sitting there listening to this and going, oh, that's just, it sounds so painful. It is actually, I think firing clients is the second hardest thing to do in business. Um, because, um, for all the other, all the obvious reasons, like you're, you could even enjoy working with some of these clients and maybe you want to keep some of those, but the idea is, and we're going to release this on an upcoming, uh, blog post, the profitability matrix and how to identify clients that are high profit. You know, you want to look for, those high profit, high average order, low, lower maintenance type clients. And I, and I, I use that with a clarifier, right? There's no such thing as a low maintenance client. So very little, but many of us, uh, you know, trying to find more margin in your work life. Um, that is a great place to start is yeah. identifying. And one easy way to do it, by the way, and I don't think we do this enough in this business. So we often look at reporting from a gross sales standpoint is just take your gross profit by client and declining order and then add a little column right next to it that shows the number of orders that you did for that client that year, uh, year to, whether it's year to date, whether it's every six months. I actually think this is a six month exercise that you should do. You know, it was a Popkin we interviewed one time that said gross sales feeds egos, gross profit, profit feeds families. So you can take this and when you, when you start analyzing your book of business by gross profit, something happens. What happens in you is you realize that gross sales tells you who you work for, but gross profit tells you who is actually working for you. Yeah. And then you yeah. can start at the bottom of that list and actually create more margin. So you're right, Mark, we're back to square one in terms of helping folks. Where do they begin? They begin by looking at their book of business a little harder, maybe creating a little margin in their life so they can actually go out and do some of those things. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's such a, it's such a great point. And I mean, I think that this conversation is, it, it's so dead simple yet. It's so hard to <laughs> right. do in real life. And, <laughs> right. and, 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 I, I would I would hope that the result of this conversation is that um, that that some people have been inspired to to maybe take take us uh, to stop from all the busy work yeah. and and 
honor the fact that it doesn't have to be a lot of time each and every day, at least at the beginning, yeah. to just do that one or perhaps two proactive things, the things that are just completely out of that firefighting routine. And and that is the habit that if it can stick with each and every day and do the tiny task each and every day, that it will it will become an avalanche um, before you know it. And, yeah. and, and it'll be fun as opposed to... Uh, trying to binge uh, uh trying to binge on one particular day and then just not having the time to uh, invest in it the following day one last comment to mark um I, I asked the vp of sales in this uh in this industry um if it was too much to ask for our team and myself whoever it might be people in our industry to prospect to five prospects a week. And uh, the conversation we got down to, and this is somewhat embarrassing just because we all want to believe that we're better than this. If we just simply prospected to, and, and, and please be patient with me when I say this, if we just prospected to one new qualified, well-qualified prospect once a week, that's 52 new prospects a year. Now, yeah. when I say be patient, that sounds embarrassing, right? Most people will go, well, it's just not ambitious enough. You're just not going to do it. I know, I know many people, though, who will go months without touching a new, new contact. Um, and and is, is that, am I off on that, Mark? I don't think so. I, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's the routines, right? right. You're, it's the routines that you get used to. And the routine is uh, uh, lots of uh, inbound requests, living in your email, living in your inbox, fighting the fires, and and your your sales may be increasing under that uh, environment. And if that's the case, then you've probably built a pretty good portfolio on one hand, so you should be proud of that. Right. Or you're incredibly lucky. Um. And and the reality is that it needs continual investment in uh, of, of the base and need to continually um, uh, fortify that base. So that way it will continue to pay dividends down the road. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's just, it's also super, super important to just honor and accept the fact that we're in a crazy business. Yeah. If you've been successful in this business, you're going to have a lot of inbound opportunities. Totally. Sure. There are ways to, streamline that, you know, whether that's through technology or process or just being more strategic with how you do things. Sure. From an operations perspective, there's always ways to optimize, but I, I, I just think it's, 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 it's a good thing to recognize that you might be in the belly of the beast, yeah. but recognize that you can, you can kind of stop and, and take a breath of fresh air for 15, 30 minutes a day to just do that one thing that will move the needle a millimeter in the right direction. Um, it's better to do that than not move the needle at all and then find yourself with unloyal clients, low margin clients, and then all of a sudden your business is stagnating and you're like, where do I go from here? And yeah. you don't even have the habit or the the skill set to be proactive at that point. And that's really when you start to go into a tailspin and you give up and say, oh, my best days are behind me. I'm done with this. Yeah. And and that, that that's a true tra tragedy. By the way, one, one last anecdote on this. Um, I, I remember sitting with a rep and she's just awesome at, at what she she does as most reps are in terms of working with clients 
and business was rocking along at an incredible pace. Uh, a client was actually out pulling every, every, every other client by far. So this particular client was becoming, you know, like 90% of the book of business, a huge, huge percentage. Um, and I remember sitting down with this rep and we actually had the discussion. How do you actually, you know, that the client is consuming more and more of your time. You know, you're basically becoming a one person, a, a one customer person. Yep. We actually had the tough conversation of, do you start saying no to certain projects that don't make sense for you for the express purpose of making more space in your calendar to call on more other, other companies? And it was actually, it was that difficult of a decision. Like it wasn't like it was a black and white answer. Most people would go, if you're not in that position and you're not making the money off of that client, you would go, well, of course, the obvious answer is to scale back, but you have the fear. What if I start, right. what if the client gets irritated that I'm not taking these projects? So right, 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 it, it's right, not right. like these are easy answers, but I think they require, uh, they require an answer. They require an uh, action. Hindsight's right. always twenty twenty, but I would almost always opt to start very politely and tactfully backing out of projects that don't. Maybe they're the low margin, high complexity right. type projects so that you can actually make more room in your calendar for other clients. So here's what I'll say, and this is a great way to close this. And it's also a great teaser for another conversation that okay. you and I will have in an upcoming podcast is to take what you just said there, that fear of, of, of standing up to the customer for fear that you're going to lose their business, even though, you know, it may not be a healthy, profitable relationship that applies 100%, my friend, to a conversation that we will have about company stores and the <laughs> trap, the trap that some distributors find themselves in. And that's not to say that company stores are bad. No. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. Right. But what I'm saying is that there are many, many, many bad habits that form because distributors are lulled into uh, the, the um, uh, large RFP and how prestigious it would be in order to land it. But then they realize they are then handed a death sentence. So we're going to talk about that and how to navigate those rocky shoals. Yeah, that sounds great. I can't wait for that conversation, as you can imagine. All right, my friend. Good to talk to you again. You bet. Keep it real, Bobby. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening.